0: All of this month we've been talking about worship and uh, how we can come to worship just as it says the wise men came to worship the Christ child. And our desire is that each of us would reach a place in our worship that we can acknowledge and express our emotions freely to God. I think we should strive to be much less inhibited in our worship, both privately and publicly. Uh, Too often we're just worried about what someone else may think or, you know, how I may look to someone else, and that's not the goal. The goal is to pour out our hearts in worship, whatever may be in our hearts at that time. And so we talked about that last week, and we looked at King David, who's a great example of this, this kind of worship. And this week, after I preached last week, I thought of this other incident in David's life that speaks so powerfully to this. Uh, so wonderfully illustrates his uninhibited way of worshiping God. It's in Second Samuel six. So I want to look at that briefly as we get into the sermon today. Second Samuel chapter six. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which is a major piece of you know of the the tabernacle or the temple, also where the seat of God would be, the mercy seat of God, had been taken by the Philistines, the enemies, the Israelites, but. Recently, it had been recovered, and it was going to be brought back to Jerusalem, and there was some hesitation about that, but now the day has arrived, and David is so happy that finally it's going to be brought back and put in the tabernacle once again. And as we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting with verse 12, it says, Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of David, uh, the house of Hobod even, to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Just picture this in your mind. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. And so this ark was being brought back to the tabernacle, and David takes off his kingly crown, he takes off his kingly robe, and he begins dancing in worship before the Lord. Now, I don't know if any of us have ever done this, but David did it kind of routinely. And he did it without regard for what anyone else thought, even though he is the king. You know, he's supposed to be proper, there's certain things you're supposed to, rules to obey. And, And basically, David lost himself in worship, we would say not caring what anyone else thought, only what God thought. And it seems that everyone else kind of joined into this and became part of this worship experience, except for his wife, Michal, who was the daughter of Saul, the former king. Notice verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. I mean, it really upset her. What a, what a fool of himself he's just making in front of all the people is how she's looking at that. And so they continue, while she's watching from the window. they continue coming in to Jerusalem. They bring the Ark of the Covenant into the tabernacle, and there's great celebration. And go, go down to verse 20 now. David's home. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Here's the sarcasm. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. She really didn't mince any words, did she? She tells him exactly what she thought of his all behavior. And David responds to this. Listen to this response. He says, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house whom he appointed the ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. So I want to capture just that 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 word that David spoke. I did this, not for you. I didn't do that for the people. I did that for God. I did it before the Lord. And I don't care if I'm undignified. I don't care even if I humiliate myself in the way that I worship. This is how God needs to be worshiped. I will give him my all. Now, today is the final message in the Come to Worship series. And we have uh, uh, lifted up our hands to God. We talked about that. And we have presented our gifts to God. And we have poured out our hearts before God. The final message today is bowing our knees before God. The wise men bowed their knees before Jesus as they presented their gifts to him. Well, what is the significance of bowing our knees before anyone? You know, before someone that, that maybe is, is greater, more important than us. When we would, would imagine going into the courtroom of a king, let's say, and you've been invited, you've been summoned to his court, and, and you enter the room, you enter very respectfully, don't you? You're, you're, you enter excitedly. You're, you're anticipating some great things. You know, you're going to be, appear before the king. Or maybe in today's uh, national uh, setup in our country, you've been given an audience with the President of the United States. You've been invited into the Oval Room, and you are, you're introduced, and you have the opportunity to speak to the most powerful man on earth, they say. Imagine how you would feel, how you would conduct yourself, and how excited you would be for this rare opportunity. The wise men were excited to finally arrive at the place where the new king was. Matthew tells us that when the wise men saw the star, he says they were what? They were overjoyed. And they were overjoyed because they had been longing to see this king. They had seen the appearance of the star some months before quite a few months before, and they've been making their journey so that they could see this newborn king of Israel. And so, as they are coming in, they, they are kind of surprised to discover that Jesus is not in a palace. He's in this very humble house, probably a more humble house than anybody in this room lives in today. And this is where Jesus, and Mary, and Joseph are live, living Months before, they had seen a star in the heavens. They assumed this new king of Israel would be the son of the king of Israel, Herod. And so they first approach Jerusalem. They go to the king, and they say, you know, show us your son, basically. And Herod is shocked because there is no son to show. He doesn't even know what they're talking about. And so it's not at the palace where they meet Jesus. It's down the way in Bethlehem, this little place that was just a village compared to the city of Jerusalem and to a very, very humble house where Mary and Joseph are living. And even though things didn't really match up to what the wise men had pictured in their mind of how things would go, they accept all of it because, after all, they're very anxious. They're very excited to see what God is going to show them, what He has brought them to see and to experience. They also discover that Jesus was a little older than a newborn baby. Now, often in our nativities... You know, uh, we have everybody there, don't we? We have Mary and Joseph. We have the animals. We have Jesus in the manger. We have the shepherds who have just come in from the hillside. That's accurate. But we also put the wise men there. Why in the world do we do that? I don't know. I guess because we want to make it this picture-perfect scene. And so we're inaccurate in that because Matthew tells us there's really a lapse of time that has happened here. And Jesus is really quite a bit older than a newborn infant. He might be 18 months old. He might be close to two years old. And this really changes everything. We know this because Herod wants to get rid of this new king. And so he asked the wise men to come back and report after they found out where Jesus is. Where he is so he can go worship him, he says. But he's not going to worship him. He's going to kill him. And so after he finds out that they've left, they've seen him and they've left, they do not even go back to Herod, then he sends his henchmen in to kill every little boy under two years old in Bethlehem to make sure they get the one he's after. Now, if it had only been in the first week or two or the first month or two, Herod would have known that because he knew the time that the star had appeared. That was the approximate birth date then in his mind of this child. And so he reached forward in time to anybody that was up to two years old because quite a bit of time has now passed. So now we know the wise men are seeing a toddler, not a newborn infant. Doesn't that just kind of change everything? Now, to help us a little bit, this artist kind of portrays that. Now, Jesus is not, you know, somebody holding your arms like this who doesn't even respond very much, but now this, this wonderful toddler, what is he doing when they show up at the house? Is he playing on the floor with maybe some wooden blocks from Joseph's carpentry shop? Is he sitting up in whatever kind of a high chair they may have had then, and he's eating like a toddler would, and he's got food everywhere? Is it all over his face and his hands? Yeah, I don't know what scene they came in on, but this was not the scene they had pictured, and yet it is the scene that they embraced with excitement, with awe, with wonder, with reverence. And they bowed. They bowed before him and worshipped him, this toddler. In Asian cultures, it's customary to bow in each other's presence as a form of greeting. Now, Americans, maybe shake hands or just say hi and you know continue the conversation. But if you're in Thailand or Burma or India or many other, other southeastern countries, countries, there's this formal bow, this gesture, respect and kindness, words of respect and kindness are spoken to this person that you're greeting for the first time. How then should we greet our God, the king of the universe? How much respect and awe and kindness and reverence should be in our greeting and in our worship? Even in a Worship service like this today, we may be so preoccupied with other thoughts that only a minute or two of this hour of worship is actually directed towards God. We're just thinking about everybody else around us. We're thinking about everything else that's going on. We're wondering about whether the the food is going to be ready or the gifts are going to be ready for Christmas. You know, we have a lot of extra distractions today. But if you were truly in the audience of the King of the Universe... Would you be thinking about anything else at all? We have so much to learn about worship. Reading the Bible, we observe several things about bowing the knee and bending the knee and, and reverence for God. You know, it, it talks about God being so superior to us. Mortal man can't even look upon his face. The, the Jews had this... Very steady idea, the constant idea that if you ever saw God, you'd die as soon as you saw him. It just, it'd be too wonderful, and he would be so far superior to you, you couldn't comprehend. You couldn't, you couldn't even take it in. You would just die on the spot. And so we see Moses, who sees the burning bush, and he's drawn over there, and the voice of God speaks to him. He takes off you know, his sandals there, and he stands back because you know, I, I'm afraid to even approach. And He finds out he can talk with God and live and elijah you know once wants to see god but he only sees the back of god he sees the kind of the outline of god go by this little place in the rock where god had hidden him and and we see isaiah has his vision of god and he's taken right up to the throne room of god and he sees god in all of his wonder and the seraphs flying around you know and such glory that he never imagined he could take all that in and what's the words of his mouth he says woe is me (laughs) Because he says, okay, I've seen God, now I'm going to die. He just knows instinctively that as soon as he sees God, he would die. And he doesn't. In fact, God gives him a call, a a calling upon his life to go out. Do you see how different the approach of some of these people to worship is than ours? Do you see how different this posture of worship is? And that's what we've been talking about this whole time. Somehow... Somehow we've lost our respect. We've lost our respect, our fear of God, and we need to get them back. So this morning as we talk about kneeling before God, bowing on our knees before God, let's look at a couple of the places where we might want to do this. One of the places, one of the reasons for bowing our knees is to show our desire to know Him more and more. I want to use the Scripture for each of these points this morning. And so, if you will, turn over with me to Mark chapter 10. Only one verse there. Mark chapter 10. And it says there that there's this man, very rich man, powerful man, a young, rich, powerful ruler, who came to Jesus with a question. And it says only in this one verse, Mark 10, 17, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, and he fell on his knees before him good teacher says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the question on his mind. This is the thing he needs. And here is a man who is seeking after God, who is showing his desire for God. Now, this story doesn't really turn out too well for him. Because as you carry the conversation through, which we don't have time for, we finally get to the point where where Jesus draws a line in the sand where the man must give away his riches and then follow him. And he's unwilling to do that. So he walks away. But at this point, there's this tremendous desire, this tremendous seeking after God. This was not a casual, everyday thing for him. His desire for God put him into a posture that he went into. That he ran to Jesus and he fell on his knees before him and put up the question to him. Some of you may be at the same place in your life right now you may or may not yet be a christian you may believe in god but you certainly know he's not your pursuit in the sole pursuit of your life he's not the one you're seeking after he's not the one that you're chasing but somehow you know he needs to be you know you need more of god but you're not sure how you're going to get there you're not sure how that's going to happen and so all you know is is there's this, this emptiness or there's this, this, this kind of this hole inside you that your life is not measuring up. It's not satisfying. It's not fulfilling, at least not as much as you'd like it to be. And in spite of everything you tried, there is this undeniable emptiness in your life. And if you had the opportunity that this young man did, you would certainly run to Jesus. You would run. You would fall on your knees before him and you'd say, Here's my question. How can I have eternal life? How can I be with you for eternity? Today you have an opportunity when we worship to kneel before God so that you can know him better. And I encourage you to do that. Just be a seeker. Just be someone searching after God. Because God says, as he said to the Israelites, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. He's not going to hide himself. He's not going to to make it hard on you. He's going to say, if you seek me, you definitely will find me because I want to be found. That's what God says to each of us. So I encourage you today, if that's where you are, among these different descriptions, to bow your knees to Jesus and find the answers for life and eternity that he has. Another way that we may want to bow our knees before God is to show our repentance over some of the things that we have done now luke the gospel writer gives us an example this of luke chapter 5 it's the example of peter in his fishing boat and like peter you may need to kneel in repentance before god you 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 see every now and then we all do something we regret we hurt people we hurt god we sin we rebel uh and maybe This has become more apparent to you now at Christmas times. Christmas has a way of magnifying things like this, you know, that this this uh, problem in a relationship or maybe maybe it's a brokenness of your own spirit or a brokenness between you and another person. Christmas brings that out because you can't be celebrating Christmas the way you would have if there was not that brokenness. If you were not carrying around this load of guilt or or shame or whatever it may be. And so. God gives us this example of repentance and many others in Luke chapter 5. Peter is a fisherman. He's been fishing all night long with his uh, co-workers, with his friends, and they didn't catch anything. These are professional guys, but they didn't catch anything. And Jesus is teaching the next morning, and then then he turns to them. He says, you know, let's take the boat out a little bit further, and uh, let's go fishing again. And so Luke 5. 4 through 7, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. (laughs) You can imagine Peter's... uh, Thoughts, attitude, when Jesus said, you need to go back out, go fishing again. And Peter's, you know, we did that. We've already done that all night. Besides, you're a carpenter. You're not a fisherman. What are you telling me to do? You know, all these things he thought, but he didn't say. And he finally says, well, because you said so, we'll do it. And very reluctantly. And they go out there, and there's such a catch of fish that they can't get them all in the boat. In fact, their nets, you know, are just breaking before they can do that. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Free and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. This is repentance. This is a definite sign of his repentance. When he realized what had happened, that someone great enough, In the person of Jesus to bring this catch of fish. You know, an object lesson that a fisherman would really understand. It got his attention. And he realized there's this great difference between Jesus standing in that boat and himself, a sinful man. And he fell on his knees in repentance. Now, here's the surprising thing Jesus didn't turn Peter away. No matter what he had done, no matter what he was guilty of, which Jesus already knew, but Peter didn't know he knew. Didn't matter to Jesus. He didn't turn away. He will never turn away any repentant person. Jesus never turns away a sinner who has a repentant heart. I want you to know that this morning. He always welcomes the person who humbles himself before him. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how far you've gone into sin, doesn't matter how far you've rebelled, it doesn't matter how long you've done all these things. Jesus never turns a repentant person away. Because this is his very desire. You know, the Second Peter tells us that God doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to what? To repentance. To a place where they say, I've messed up and you alone can fix me. I come to you. I come to you in humility. I put my faith in you. So you may feel this morning that you do not deserve his love. And I'd say you're Right. But you're in the perfect place to feel that and to know that in spite of our undeservedness, he embraces us. He welcomes us. He never turns any of us away. The word of God says in 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Perhaps today is the day that you kneel, need to kneel before God and say, I repent. Here's where I'm going to begin. I'm going to repent. I know what I've done. I know I don't deserve your love, but I repent, and I come before you in humility. Now, let's look at one other thing, and this third one really fits all of us. It fits every person in this room, including myself. All of us, all the time, need to bow before God in worship worship. And in surrender. Example of this is actually Jesus. Kind of a surprising example I know. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's in Matthew chapter 26. And all of us, like Jesus, must come to a point in our lives when our desire is to bow before God and worship and surrender. To come before God and say, you know, it's not about me. It's about you. It's not about what I get out of things. It's about what I can give to you. Do you remember what Jesus prayed as he kneeled in the garden before Almighty God? Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. Notice the posture. Fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. As we worship and take time to pray, we may realize in our lives that we need to kneel down and surrender to God. There may be areas of our lives where we're still trying to, to somehow maintain control. We just want to be in control, you know. And, and we want to be the one to decide what we will do. And so it's hard to surrender. But that's what worship is. Worship is acknowledging that God is greater than us. And we, we would fail. We would mess up if we were in charge. But if we give charge to Him, we give the control of our lives to Him, then life will be what it's supposed to be. God, it's not my will. It's yours that I want. Above everything else, even above myself, even above my own desires, above my own will, I want your will. And when we bow before Him, that is our worship. That is our surrender. You may realize that not only do you not kneel physically sometimes in God's presence, you know, that's not our American way, but sometimes we haven't even knelt spiritually or emotionally. Americans just don't get on their knees. Maybe the Roman Catholics do sometimes. I've been in in a few masses where that didn't even happen, even though the kneelers were there. We just don't want to kneel. We don't want to get before God like that. Or we may feel that it's just this outward thing and really what's important, what's going on inside. I think the very posture of kneeling is evidence of the posture of our hearts. And I encourage you to kneel before the Lord. And I want us... To do something we do not do normally. I'm going to ask you in a few minutes to kneel before the Lord, if you're willing. I'm going to ask everybody in this room, youngest to the oldest, to get on their knees before God. Now, some of you are saying, I don't know if I can get down on my knees. And some would say, yes, I can get down, but I'm not sure I can get back up. Okay, let's be honest. Well, we're going to help you up if you need help. And if you just physically cannot get down on your knees for some physical reason you have, I'm not going to make you feel bad. I just want you to sit there reverently in the same posture of worship emotionally that everyone else is taking on physically as well as emotionally. But before we get there, I want to tell you about a special teenage boy whose name was Runky. Runky was a mentally challenged boy who lived in Akron, Ohio, Didn't have any family, but somehow he became part of a church family there. Somehow he started going to the youth group, and the other kids were having a hard time kind of accepting him because he was odd. He had, you know, kind of a social misfit. Uh, He didn't have any close friends. And, you know, they would all be in their circles doing different things. And he'd kind of be on the outside listening in, never volunteering information. uh, And he would laugh when they laughed, but he didn't really understand everything that was going on never got into their inner circle, kind of just socially inept. But one Christmas season, the minister of the church had the opportunity to speak to the youth group, and so they were all gathered in, in the kind of the back part of their sanctuary, having youth group, and he was speaking to them, and he was making his point about, you know, worshiping Jesus, and he made a gesture towards the front where they had this huge nativity scene set up at the front of the room. And he asked while making his gesture, who will come and kneel before Jesus this Christmas? Well, Runky didn't understand that the preacher wasn't really expecting anybody to move. He was asking them to make a move in their hearts. So Runky got up, and he went to the front of the room, and he knelt down before this little manger scene. Everybody's still in the back of the room. Well, obviously, that kind of interrupted things, and the preacher stopped talking. And in the silence, when he wasn't talking, Runky said, I'm sure some of the other kids would like to come up here and kneel too. And you know what? They did. Every one of them got up and they came and they knelt at the manger scene at Jesus' feet. Afterwards, several of the kids came up to Runky and they said, You know, that was pretty brave of you to do that. And we thought that was pretty cool. And they brought him into their circle. And he became accepted in the youth group and had a big, big smile on his face. Unfortunately, soon after that, he became very ill and died a few months later. But that tradition, that example of bowing before Jesus, kneeling before Jesus has become a tradition, a great tradition of that church. And now everybody kneels with Runky every Christmas. Isn't that a great story? True story. I want to invite you to kneel now, and I'm going to kneel down, and I hope that we will humble ourselves before God, and we will pray together in worship and surrender. Please find a place there in front of you and kneel down before the Lord. Father in heaven, we are kneeling before you this morning, as we rarely, perhaps never do. We do this as our posture of worship, both physically and spiritually and emotionally. And I pray today, Lord, that you would hear our prayers. You would accept our reverence. Our desire to show our respect for you and to humble ourselves before you. I pray, Lord, for those that are in our midst today that are seekers. They're, they're trying to know you, trying to learn about you. They really don't understand what we're doing today, uh, but they know that they need something more. They need someone more. And like that young ruler, they are running to you. They're falling on their knees before you now. Seeking you with their heart, wanting to know you more and more day by day, and I pray for those Lord that are caught up in sin so deeply that they're just broken they're they 're struggling, they're hurting uh, they are they are caught in a trap, they don't know a way out, they don't know how to make things right, they don 't know how to mend their broken relationships. They don't know how to fix whatever they have have destroyed. And they come before you today kneeling also in repentance and a desire for your forgiveness. And we're thankful, Lord, that you do not turn any repentant sinner away, that, that you welcome them today. May they feel your good pleasure, your willingness to love them and to forgive them. And may they continue opening their hearts to you, Lord, in faith, even in this Christmas season. May you bring new life to them through a relationship with Jesus Christ, your son. And Lord, for all of us today are kneeling before you in worship and surrender. May there be a deep, deep respect for you, a reverence and awe for you that we would we would take it as a great privilege to ever come before you and not something we do routinely or we do without expectation but that we would be very careful in our worship of you both as a congregation and as individuals in our homes and in our lives, in our jobs, in our schools. May our worship reflect our respect and reverence for you. Lord, this is our posture of worship that we must assume today and we must keep for every day of our lives. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus. May this Christmas be more than any Christmas has ever been because of our posture and our attitude of worship. May Jesus be praised. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, help everybody up. (laughs) God bless you. God bless you today.